Hello, welcome to Short Talks from the Hill, a podcast from the University of Arkansas. I'm Bettina Lahovec, talking with art historian Lynn Jacobs about her recent research on German triptychs. Lynn is a distinguished professor in the School of Art and the author of several books, including Opening Doors, the Early Netherlandish Triptych Reinterpreted. Thanks for joining us, Lynn. Well, thanks so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about triptychs. So triptychs are paintings that have three panels, and these panels are hinged together so they can fold up and they can open out. And this type of structure for paintings was very popular in the region of the Netherlands, present day, Belgium and Holland, in the 15th and 16th centuries, and also in a lot of other countries in Northern Europe, um, also Germany. So I started working quite a while ago on this project of studying the triptych format in the Netherlands, primarily in Belgium. And my book, Opening Doors, was a kind of reinterpretation of the Netherlandish triptych. And I started to realize that no one had really looked at the triptych format much in Germany. And German triptychs had really been seen as very derivative of Netherlandish triptychs. And just not worth studying because they're just kind of copying and maybe not even as good. But I wanted to kind of start with Cologne, which is right on the border with Belgium, because it was a very interesting situation that occurred right in the middle of the 15th century, where a triptych by a very famous Netherlandish painter named Roger van der Weyden was imported into Cologne and was put up in a very prominent position in Cologne. And so all of a sudden, these uh, in Cologne, we have a major Netherlandish triptych um, in situ. And what I wanted to look at is the reciprocal influences. I wanted to look at how Roger was impacted by the fact that he was producing a work for a Cologne patron. But what I'm also interested in is the issue of competition between what Roger van der Weyden was doing and what the most famous triptych in Cologne from a Cologne artist in town was before Roger's work came. And so the most famous triptych that was in Cologne at the time that Roger van der Weyden's triptych arrived was a triptych showing the Adoration of the Magi by Stefan Lochner, who's the only real named artist we know from Cologne in the mid-15th century. And this was a very large triptych uh, in a chapel that was, uh, that was used by the town council. So it was sort of a kind of a government chapel. And it was very large. And I think to some degree the patron of the chapel at uh, the Church of St. Columba kind of wanted his triptych to rival the Stefan Lochner uh-huh. triptych in size. And then I suspect that the patron also specified the subject matter. And Roger van der Weyden's triptych shows the adoration of the Magi in the center which is the same subject matter of Stefan Lochner's triptych. And it's a very important theme in Cologne because Cologne happened to own some very important relics of the Magi. And they had them in a reliquary in the cathedral, and it was a huge pilgrimage site. So 
the subject matter of the Adoration of the Magi had never been the central panel of a triptych in the Netherlands. So the fact that Roger van der Weyden makes this first triptych with the Adoration of the Magi in the center is a clear reference to the taste of Cologne and maybe even to the desire of the patron to rival Stefan Lochner's triptych. So we know that around mid-century, Roger van der Weyden, in 1450, it was a jubilee year, he actually traveled from the Netherlands to Rome. And we suspect that he stopped in Cologne, either on the way there or on the way back. But we think that Roger van der Weyden might have gotten the commission for this triptych before the trip and started having the work done on his triptych before he actually went to Cologne. The first real process where the artist is getting involved in the design, the imagery, is to do what we call underdrawing. So what the Netherlandish artists normally did was they would put drawings on the panel, full-scale drawings in a graphite material with the basic compositional elements, all the main scenes, and Roger van der Weyden tended to do pretty detailed underdrawings for his works. And then after that, they would apply the paint layer. Nowadays, we're very lucky and we have a scientific technique called infrared reflectography where we can shoot infrared light uh, through the painting or maybe it reflects through. I'm not really a scientist, but what I know is that through the use of this technique, we can actually see the underdrawings that lie the, below the surface, the paint level. Wow. And what people have realized is that there are a number of figures that are in Stefan Lochner's triptych and cologne that Roger van der Weyden seems to have copied. Some of the figures have a similar dress, they have a similar position, they have a similar color. And what we've learned from studying the underdrawings is that the figures, all the pretty much most of the borrowings from Stefan Lochner are not present in the underdrawing layer, but actually reflect changes between the underdrawings and the paint layer. And it's not at all uncommon. There's very often changes. But what seems to have happened is that Roger van der Weyden possibly had his shop do the underdrawings while he was sort of on his trip and had, after he'd gotten the, the contract. But after he spent time in Cologne, he came back and he painted in, first of all, the donor, the portrait of the donor, which was not present in the underdrawings, and presumably he hadn't seen the donor yet, and also made some changes in the figures to copy in certain ways elements of Stefan Lochner's work. I think that Roger may have really gotten into this competition with Stefan Lochner and tried to show that he, he, to kind of relate his work to Stefan Lochner, but also then to show that he had the edge in certain other aspects. And one of the big things that he had the edge in is that he had a very realistic setting for his scenes. So he was very accomplished in perspective and showing realistic landscape space and in showing realistic interior space. Whereas Stefan Lochner, following Cologne traditions, for the most part, his works had gold leaf backgrounds. And so in Cologne, they were used to seeing the background pretty much all gold leaf. Now, this was a pretty cool thing. They liked this because it was very rich. It showed they had a lot of money. They demonstrated the wealth of the person who was paying for it. But Roger van der Weyden starts to say that sort of bring into Cologne that the skill of the artist, that's even cooler than showing that material wealth. And so he brings in this incredible sense of realistic space, which 
what had not really been seen in Cologne prior to this time. And that was a kind of astonishing new development for that the Cologne painters after Roger van der Weide, we start to see that coming into their work. So it sounds like the influence went both ways. Yeah, the influence went both ways, and that's one of the things I'm, I'm really trying to emphasize in my work, because previously had really been seen only in one direction, from the Netherlands to Germany. And that's certainly true, but I think there is a reciprocal influence, and I think that Probably the fact that Roger van der Weyden's work in some ways adapted to some of the Cologne tastes is one of the reasons why it, it then became so important in Cologne. It just didn't come in as a completely foreign kind of thing. It had some new things, and but it was also in a language that the, the Cologne artists could understand, and so then it was more accessible for them to adapt. And for listeners who might want to see a visual, we have some images of Roger van der Weyden's uh, Columba altarpiece on our website at researchfrontiers.uark.edu. Look under Field Notes for the August 30th article. Music for Short Talks from the Hill was written and performed by Ben Harris, guitar instructor at the University of Arkansas. For more information and additional podcasts, go to kuaf.com or researchfrontiers.uark.edu, the home of research news at the University of Arkansas.